0: This is Ozarks at Large for Tuesday, August 29th, 2023. I'm Matthew Moore. I'm Kyle Kellams. Today,
1: a familiar refrain in Northwest Arkansas. There's a need for more affordable housing.
2: I think we're going what we're going to see over the over the course of the next 2 to 5 years is creativity in how we can chip away at the problem. I don't think there's any silver bullet.
0: Plus, finding solutions for families facing a housing crisis.
3: It really comes down to the leadership of the community. So a core group of folks coming together and saying, yes, we know there's a need. We get family promise can make this happen. And Anna Moss and the Nightshades play new music.
0: First, this hour's news from NPR.
4: Support for KUAF is provided by the Scott Family Amazium, hosting Tinkerfest Saturday, September 23rd. The Amazium invites guests to create and experience hands-on activities that inspire curiosity and innovation for all ages, like deconstructing a real car. Tickets and information at amazium.org. Historic Cane Hill presents the Cane Hill Harvest Festival, Saturday, September 16th, just 20 miles south of Fayetteville. This day of community traditions and family activities kicks off with an Ozark Country Breakfast and features live music, crafts, and demonstrations. Guests can also enjoy the Arts and Eats Market, Kids Zone, and more. Full schedule and tickets at historiccanehillar.org.
1: It is Tuesday, August 29th, 2023, and this is Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kellums.
0: I'm Matthew Moore. This is 91.3 KUAF, a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas.
1: Later this hour, Anna Moss is best known here as one half of the duo Handmade Moments. She's also created her own band, Anna Moss and the Nightshades. This month, the band played Georgia's Majestic Lounge, and while in town, they all visited the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio and performed a new song for us. That's coming up in today's second half hour.
0: First up today, the constant refrain across the region is the growing need for affordable housing. Ozarks at Largest Santa Pope reports from the multifamily projects in Springdale to the three new $100 million residential projects in Bentonville announced this past week, regional cities continue to find housing.
5: Steve Clark has a quick method for getting a ballpark number of housing units the city of Fayetteville might need, according to population projections.
6: So if we grow four people a day, somebody new every six hours, and you assume half of those people are adults that are going to need housing. If you've got some children in that group, then you literally can take uh, 365 and multiply Mm -hmm. it by two, and that's... 730 i believe it is and or so that's how many new units you would need on an annual basis
5: clark the president and chief executive officer of the fayetteville city chamber of commerce says building 730 new units a year to feed the demand for housing is not foolproof the city welcomes thousands of students every fall to the u of a and there are different types of housing people desire He says when doing this math problem, it's important to remember the city is part of a region that works in a regional approach to housing.
6: You know, we could build 750 or 1,000 new homes a year for a long time, and we probably wouldn't get anywhere close to meeting all of our needs, or have to do that on a regular basis, literally going forward for the next 15 years.
5: Like many places in the U.S., available housing is limited, and prices are rising in the region. In 2022, rental prices had a 14% increase, according to the Northwest Arkansas Workforce Housing Center. Recently, regional cities announced multiple housing projects, for instance, projects like Big Emma. Red structural dirt and rock are scattered across the section at the busy corner of Park and Emma Avenue in Springdale. This area is where the multifamily 77-unit apartment complex, Big Emma, will be located. This is one of many housing projects in Springdale. Other projects include Via Emma, an apartment complex expected to add 131 units to the city. Also in July, the Springdale Planning Commission approved four subdivisions, expecting to result in about 600 single-family homes.
2: So I I think there's, I think we're going, what we're going to see over over the course of the next two to five years is creativity in how we can chip away at the problem. I don't think there's any silver bullet.
5: That's Bill Rogers, the president and CEO of the Springdale Chamber of Commerce. He says Springdale is expected to be the largest city in the region. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, its population is about 87,000 people, and he says that number is supposed to reach around 154,000 people in 22 years.
2: I don't have the ability to to translate that into the number of homes and multifamily off the top of my head, but it's a whole lot more than we have today.
5: Rogers says the city does not have only one area of need when considering multifamily or single-family units. It just needs housing. He says in Springdale, development has largely been focused in areas where there is existing infrastructure, like water and sewer lines, and where grocery stores are nearby, and a connection to services like a bus system.
2: Infrastructure is always a key component of of development, and, you know, who's paying for it, when can you afford to to build that out, Uh, how far in advance of the development demand is there. But, uh, you know, if we could fast forward 50 years from now, uh, we would be surprised at the housing and the development that's out toward uh, Beaver Lake to the east.
5: Further south in Fort Smith, a 180-unit new apartment complex broke ground earlier this year. Up north, Newell Development announced three housing projects with an expected price tag of $100 million this past week. They are expected to generate about 500 residential units in two years.
6: Five years ago, not many people would talk about having a as a housing unit of space that's 20 by 20.
5: Steve Clark again.
6: They say, well, it's got to be a little bigger than that, you know. We've got to have that, and we got and so it's the changing nature of society and life, and
5: mm-hmm. that
6: really is what makes it fun. But it also. keeps you up at night because when you don't have shelter, then you don't have one of the essentials of life. And you got to find shelter. And we have to meet those needs because that is an essential of life.
5: For Ozarks At Large and the Bruce and Ann, Applegate News Studio One, I'm Anna Pope. Affordable
1: housing will be one of the topics discussed at Groundworks next future is now speaker series in 20 minute lightning rounds experts from the finance world will share best practices and innovative ways to find financing for housing projects speakers include mark conine the president of the arkansas development finance authority he'll address affordable housing construction options and ron Van Den Handel, the managing director of preston hollow community capital talking about community focused financing solutions for workforce housing All right. Registration for tomorrow's event at the Jones Center has closed, but Randy Wilburn with the I Northwest Arkansas podcast is going to talk with each of the speakers and we'll hear those conversations during an upcoming Ozarks at Large.
0: And coming up on this Ozarks at Large, the group Family Promise works to help unhoused families find stable places to live. A chapter may be coming to Fayetteville. That's in about six minutes on today's show. The Lunch Hour Summer Concert
4: Series, sponsored by McDonald's, continues Friday, September 1st with Daz and Bree. This Emmy-nominated rock and soul woman-fronted duo from Little Rock combines acid rock instrumentation with operatic and theatrical elements. The Lunch Hour Summer Concert Series leads up to an all-day celebration of KUAF's 50 Years on the Air to wrap up the series. For more, KUAF.com
0: forward slash summer concerts. A special session could be on the horizon for Arkansas lawmakers. During an interview with KARK's Channel 4's Capital View, Senator Jonathan Dismang, a Republican from BB, said, it is becoming clear that there will be a special session before the year ends. Senator Dismang, who is co-chairman of the Joint Budget Committee, said the focus of the special session would be lowering the corporate and income taxes. He emphasized that the budget surplus is not the motivation for the tax cuts.
2: We will not cut taxes based on existing
7: surpluses. We cut those based on forecast and anticipated future revenues. Uh, So it's not because of surplus, but I do think it's because of the economic conditions that we're having. Uh, You know, It's uh, anybody's guess where we go from here uh, as far as a recession or if it's a soft landing
0: or harsh or whatever it may be. Senator Clark Tucker, a Democrat of Little Rock, agreed with Dismang that tax cuts should be based on state revenue forecasts and not budget surpluses. However, Tucker said he disagrees with having a special session this year. He said he would prefer lawmakers to wait until the next legislative session in 2025 to adjust tax rates.
1: The Arkansas Department of Health continues to investigate an outbreak of E. coli that has sickened roughly 100 students at the University of Arkansas. Bill Marler, a food safety attorney based in Seattle, says at this point, the work to find the cause of such an outbreak is likely in an investigative phase.
8: E. coli 0157, which is most likely the type of E. coli that's impacting the kids in Arkansas, is a reportable disease in all 50 states. So if someone comes in, and a stool culture is done, comes back positive for E. coli one five oh one five seven. By law, they, the the lab, the hospital, the doctors are mandated to report it to state and local health authorities.
1: Marler says at that point, the isolate of the E. coli is then sent to a state lab.
8: And that state lab extracts the DNA out of that uh, bacterium, and they do what's called whole genome sequencing. So they look at the entire genome of that bacteria. And then as other stool cultures come in, they see whether or not they're a match. And what that tells you is is that that it's not just, you know, one E. coli bacteria um, that that is impacting, you know, everybody. It is one E. coli bacteria that's impacting everyone.
1: Marlowe teaches a class each year at the University of Arkansas School of Law about food safety. We'll hear
0: much more from him about E. coli and food safety on tomorrow's edition of Ozarks at Large. Nearly 30 Arkansans are hospitalized due to a stroke each day. It's numbers according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. And a recent study from the American Heart Association shows that intracerebral hemorrhage stroke is on the rise in the U.S. with incidents among those age 18 to 44 increasingly at risk. Dr. Cheryl Martin Schild is with the Louisiana Emergency Response Network in New Orleans and part of a national campaign to make younger people more aware of common stroke symptoms.
9: The truth is, anyone can have a stroke at any age, even if you live a healthy lifestyle. One in five adults who have a stroke are under the age of fifty-five, and we think about stroke as happening to people of advanced age. And certainly, advanced age is a risk factor, one that we can't do anything about. But there are so many others. That can be acquired at younger ages and they need to be managed in order to reduce the long-term risk of stroke.
1: She says risk factors like high blood pressure, diabetes, smoking, diet, and inactivity are some of the health factors that could contribute to a stroke. She says the acronym she says the acronym BFAST is an easy way for people to identify if they may be experiencing a stroke.
9: The B of BFAST stands for balance. The E is for eyesight, anything that affects your vision suddenly. The F is for face, if you look at someone and there's an uneven smile. A is for arm or appendage, any limb, weakness, numbness, or clumsiness that develops suddenly. The S is for speech, anything that affects our ability to communicate effectively, and then that gets us to T, meaning it's time to dial 911 right away. Uh, Doing that can have a lasting impact on long-term function.
0: Megan McKee is a stroke survivor working on the national campaign as well. She had a stroke when she was 31 years old, and says "Be Fast" helped save her life.
9: Um, and if it wasn't for actually educating my husband on what those signs and symptoms were, he probably would not have recognized them as well. So "Be Fast" is an extremely important acronym to remember. Um, and and the most important thing is time, because uh, you know time is brain. The faster that you get treatment, the the less that your deficits should be afterwards.
1: For more information, you can visit strokeawareness.org.
0: Sales of medical marijuana in Arkansas continue to increase. The Arkansas Department of Finance and Administration reports sales for the first seven months of 2023 are up more than 4.5% compared to the same time in 2022. Arkansans spent more than 164 million dollars on medical marijuana from January through July of this year.
1: The number 21 Razorback volleyball team will host number one Wisconsin for two matches in Barnhill Arena this week. Both the Razorbacks and Badgers are two and zero so far this year. The matches Wednesday and Thursday nights, each start at seven. It's just the second time in program history the Razorbacks have hosted the number one team for a match. Arkansas lost to number one Florida in 2010, three sets to one. The last time an Arkansas team has faced a top-ranked squad anywhere was a loss to Nebraska in 2016. That went away from home. And take note, expected high heat and humidity is moving Saturday's Razorback football game up three hours. The Razorbacks will now kick off against Western Carolina in Little Rock at noon Saturday.
0: This is Ozarks at Large, a group with more than 30 years of helping families experiencing homelessness may establish a presence in Fayetteville and Northwest Arkansas. This past weekend, Carolyn
1: Gordon, the director of Affiliate Expansion for Family Promise, met with people in Northwest Arkansas interested in bringing Family Promise work to this region. Pastor Clint Schneckloth of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Fayetteville included. They came to the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio last week.
3: Right now we have 200 affiliates, hopefully it'll be one more, uh, in 40 plus states. And as I said, we work with families of all compositions um, in rural, suburban, urban communities.
1: The closest ones that I could find on the map were Tulsa and Bartlesville, um, Washington County of, of Oklahoma. And it's interesting because you mentioned that they're in different places. There's Little Rock, there's Tulsa, there's Denver, but then also Bartlesville, which is a a city of, I don't know, 15 or 20,000.
3: Yeah, so Family Promises is a great model because it can work for all communities, um, small communities, large communities, because what we know is there's families experiencing homelessness everywhere, unfortunately, and kids are going to – bed at night without a safe and stable place, but there's community members who want to help out. So there's congregations, there's civic organizations, there's companies, and they're looking for a way to give back and to do something about the housing crisis, and Family Promise can be that vehicle.
1: What are some of the examples of how Family Promise can help families get into to, to homes and shelters?
3: Yeah. So we are known for our Rotational Hospitality Network that dates back to the 80s when we got started with one affiliate in um, New Jersey. Um, So that was partnering with local congregations who had some um, underutilized space that could be converted into temporary shelter for the families. So on a rotating basis, kind of a unique model, and we can get into the details, but churches would come together to house families temporarily. Over the past few years, though, we've moved into the prevention space, so if we can keep a family in their house, that is certainly less traumatic for the family. It's more cost-effective for the community, so we're still operating in both of those spaces, providing shelter and helping families upstream.
1: Pastor Clint lots she said she'd like there to be one more affiliate, at least. I'm guessing that she's referring to Fayetteville or Northwest Arkansas.
10: That's right, yeah. In fact, we're going to be gathering uh, a group of leaders from around the area to kind of talk about how we might develop this out. Um, and my first exposure to uh, Family Promise was actually in that rotational model. It was At the time, it was called Interfaith Hospitality Network. And I served congregations up in the Twin Cities and in the Madison area where the churches did open themselves up for a week for families to come and live in the churches, and then they would move between uh, churches over the course of that rotation. And then there were, like, various kinds of services that were provided for the families and for the kids during the day, and then they'd be at the church in the evening. And um, I'm really excited about the opportunity. to. We're going to be having representation from the schools, from all the major um uh, basically organizations that address homelessness in Northwest Arkansas, like the COC and uh, New Beginnings and uh, Seven Hills and Salvation Army. Um, and the reason I'm excited to bring all those groups together and to have Carolyn here is because although a lot of those organizations address homelessness in a variety of ways, no one is directly addressing What Family Promise does, which is
1: homeless families and children. So, Pastor Sneckloth and, and this organization is coming together. What has to happen for an affiliate to develop in a new area?
3: Yeah, and I would just say, you know, it's awesome. There's already some folks locally who know about Family Promise. They wind up being our best ambassadors. Clergy move, volunteers move, and that's often how folks will reach out to me and say, hey, we don't have a Family Promise affiliate here. I used to be part of it. I would like this in our community. So, Um, It's great to hear that connection, but it it really comes down to the leadership of the community. So a core group of folks coming together and saying, yes, we know there's a need. We get family promise can make this happen. So we want to see this forward and committing to developing the national office family promise um, where I'm based out of. We then help with all the tools, templates, best practices, guidance of how to fundraise, um, trainings, everything that's needed to get a community up and operating to be serving families. Um, but it does take the local folks to roll up the sleeves and say, yep, we're going to do this.
1: Let's go into the rotation a little bit more, how it works. How, how does it work? How does a family that doesn't have a home get into the rotation
3: Yeah, we will, um, as it was mentioned, the school districts will have representation at the meeting, which is great because um, they're key partners of ours. So they're often the first ones who are seeing kids experiencing homelessness and knowing they're not going home to a fixed, regular space. Um, So we'll get our referrals from other nonprofit providers who maybe can't accept the whole family um, or they're at capacity and the school districts and um, other providers like that. And then the community will determine how should we implement shelter. So it could be that rotational model. It might be having a fixed location for the families to stay. Family Promise has a a couple of options of how to do shelter. And again, it's all from this principle of it it needs to fit the community. It's got to work um, so if there's churches who can host, we'll do that model. If there's a building that's available, we'll do more of a static site. Um, and again, we have all the, the templates and toolkits and all the other b- buzzwords to, to provide for a community to get it started.
1: Clint, what do you think we are in Northwest Arkansas or Fayetteville along this timeline?
10: Well, I think it really probably boils down to how quickly we have some significant, um, like, say, donors or financial sponsors lean into it. Um, running a family promise, at least the model that's around, isn't that expensive. Like, it's a couple hundred thousand dollars a year to kind of get that up as a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a lot less expensive infrastructurally if you are on that rotation model and have the churches providing the space, but then that would require enough of, um, you know, basically spaces made available. If we want to go another direction, like build out infrastructure, then that, again, would have to do with the availability of, like, say, funders to build uh, space or acquire the kind of properties or, that you would need to be able to house people and we, we've seen some models like this around Northwest Arkansas, you know, like the people buy up a house and make it available for inmates who are coming out mm-hmm. of uh, jail. So they have transitional housing or we have some of the instances here in, in South Fayetteville where we, they've done, like, say, the tiny homes, like New Beginnings. And each of those really does a lot of that comes down to capital. Mm. <laughs> um, but also people directing that capital in specific ways. So like, for example, the New Beginnings that developed or the way Salvation Army starts or the way uh, Seven Hills starts, it's like people getting together and saying, we are very intentionally going to address this particular issue within the homeless crisis or the housing crisis and then really work on it. And so I think that's the other thing. And on that point, I would say we're not that far down the road in northwest arkansas it's, it's actually one of the reasons why we've invited uh, carolyn to come in and to start having this conversation because although we are addressing homelessness in a variety of other ways in northwest arkansas there is not a resource right now for homeless families
1: at and, all and a and a, a family <clears throat> unit uh, multiple people that are that are without permanent homes that can present different you know challenges or um logistical uh issues you don't want to separate the family and things like that
3: yes and i think sometimes that's why um in communities you know there there's sometimes the the visible homelessness that we might be aware of or they'll think panhandling or living in you know parks and camps and um That's oftentimes maybe not families, and it's typically a little bit more of this hidden homelessness. So that's why sometimes folks don't even really appreciate the extent of the issue, um, because it is traumatic and it can be shameful and families would like to keep it private when possible um, and not have to split up. And unfortunately, though, sometimes to get resources still in communities, they'll have to split up. So if there's kids who are over eighteen, they're considered adults. They would have to go to an adult shelter. Um, you know, fathers would have to go to the men's shelter, women to the women's shelter. So, Family Promise really wants to see the family in the eyes of the child, and whatever that family composition is, and keep them together. They've lost enough. Oftentimes, by the by the point they get to us, they've lost um, belongings. They've lost their home oftentimes employment, pets, the the list goes on. So we certainly want to make sure they don't lose each other in the process.
1: You've both mentioned the importance of congregations and non, other nonprofits working together. Do you need, I'm sure you would always want civic buy-in. Do you need civic buy-in?
3: So Family Promise says everyone should be at the table <laughs> to end mm-hmm. family homelessness. So you know, I, I want to stress, too, we are not a religious organization uh, or faith-based, but we, we partner heavily f- with the faith community because oftentimes we're this great vehicle for all different denominations and religions to um, live out their faith. And you, same with civic organizations and same with corporate and government partners. So um, we want everyone to the table to rally around um the issue of affordable housing lacking in communities, the issue of family homelessness. Um, so that's really, I think, at the core of what we do is is the building community. Um, so it's as much serving the families with children as it is also the volunteers who really get a, a better awareness and understanding of, of housing issues, what it means to go through a system and experience homelessness. and Um, It's also really beautiful when it comes together. I just want to stress that because I think sometimes I'm the downer at cocktail parties, right? Like talking about family homelessness. But, um, you know, we are with families for life events. So, you know, holidays are happening, birthdays. Um, I used to be an executive director with one of our affiliates, and we saw kids' first steps Mm -hmm. and, you know, kids make honor rolls. So just – everything that typically happens in a household is still happening, even while they're experiencing homelessness. So it's just really beautiful for the whole community to get around that. So you asked me a yes or no question. if Civic organizations need to be there. But um, yes, everyone should be part of Family Promise.
1: I imagine there's this balance that can be that can require some finesse when it's a potential new affiliate. We're coming off a stretch as we talk here of multiple days in a row with heat index readings, 109, 110, 114, depending where you are in the region, you want to help people as soon as possible. But you also want to make sure you're doing this correctly. And I'm sure that's a, a balance that can be a challenge at times.
10: Yeah, it can. And when you asked the question about the civic buy-in, one thing that was rumbling around in my head during this conversation was, essentially, if... The civic supports, like municipal or state or federal supports, were robust enough, we wouldn't actually have to form something like Family Promise. Mm -hmm. Uh, In Fayetteville, we have models for providing housing for families that could work. Like there's the HUD housing that Mm -hmm. people can apply for. The city has the HEARTH program, Mm -hmm. which is instead of – having people go into subsidized housing it subsidizes people's housing where they go but neither of those programs are actually working right now very well so like hud has such a long waiting list that they won't even take more people for the waiting list and the hearth program is similar like the i've talked to some of the city staff around this and they would love to fund more families through the hearth program but they haven't accessed the federal funds for this year that they could to be able to open that up again. And so sometimes we're kind of stymied by those lack of resources. And so, yeah, I think that um, one of the things that's interesting about what I've been learning about Family Promise uh, in in hosting uh, Carolyn this weekend has been to see the way in which they've shifted in some of the same ways that civic organizations have towards what are the best practices, this is getting to your point about uh, do it the right way. Mm the best practices for families? Is it a best, is it ideal to have a family sleep at the church? Or is it better for them to stay, to fund them so that they don't get evicted in the first place? Or is it better to um, them be able to identify their own housing and receive support for that versus having to go into a kind of a more, a community where everybody there is is funded? And so I think that one of the things that Family Promise can do in coming in is kind of help that reopen that conversation and push some of those issues with the cities, with the county, uh, with our access to federal dollars through the COC, all of those kinds of
1: sources. Thank you both for coming in. Thank
11: you.
2: Thank you.
1: Pastor Clint Schneckloth of Fayetteville and Carolyn Gordon, the Director of Affiliate Expansion for Family Promise, spoke with me Friday afternoon at the Carver Center for Public Radio. More about the local efforts to establish a Family Promise presence in northwest Arkansas can be found on the social media accounts for Good Shepherd Lutheran Church. More about the national work can be found at FamilyPromise.org. Sona, the
4: Symphony of Northwest Arkansas, presents its 69th season beginning September 23rd at Walton Arts Center with Leonard Bernstein's Symphonic Dances from West Side Story. The eight-concert season features classics, new voices, the annual Christmas show, a concert for families, and a world premiere. Tickets and full-season lineup at sonamusic.org. KUAF is supported by its contributing listeners and by the Arkansas Podcast Collaborative, presenting Arcast Podcast Festival September 20th and 21st, where guests can hear from Arkansas podcasters as well as national experts, including the School of Podcasting and PRX. Producers of shows like This American Life, Snap, Judgment, and Reveal. More at ArkansasPodcasters.org. This is
1: Ozarks at Large. I'm Matthew Moore. I'm Kyle Kellams. Joseph Nguyen combines two growing aspects of northwest Arkansas, cycling and food, for his social media president's Hangry Peddler N.W.A. His micro blog on Instagram features advice about restaurants and food trucks across the region.
0: He has thousands of followers learning about locally owned food in Northwest Arkansas. And he recently sat down with Randy Woburn for an episode of Randy's podcast, I Am Northwest Arkansas.
1: It's a great conversation. Joseph explains he moved to Northwest Arkansas after living in Dallas and California when his father and uncle decided to open a nail salon here in the 90s. And he also told Randy that he didn't consider himself any kind of food until relatively recently.
11: I think when I met my wife right okay. now. Yeah. yeah, because before I wasn't really a foodie. And then I met her and then we would try new things. And then before that, I just used to eat the same things over and over and <laughs> over of again. Habit, right? Yeah, yeah. C- Creature of habit, exactly. And then I met her. So she, we're trying new things and I try to woo her and hey, let's go to this new spot. And, and then I just... 'Cause she's a big foodie. Yeah. Yeah, more so than I am. So I'd say since two thousand fifteen. I mean, I've been eating out a lot here and there, but it's always the same thing. But a true foodie, I think it's when I met her.
7: Sure. Yeah. Sure. So
11: I, I give her credit for making me explore more options and like even before I met her, I never had Korean barbecue before. Really? Yeah, like okay. stuff okay. like ramen. Yeah. I never had ramen until I met her <laughs> and then she really opened up my eyes to Exploring new things. So I can't say I've always been a foodie because it's not true. Right. Because yeah, 2015 when I met her.
7: Okay. So, so 2015, it is now 2023 as we're recording this. So that's been about eight years. And you, you kind of found your lane, if you will, with what you're doing with the Hangry Peddler Northwest Arkansas. Did you, when you started in 2015, kind of paying attention to what you were eating and all the different options that were available. Were you kind of what were you thinking about the food scene here in northwest Arkansas back then?
11: Oh, back then it was for sure lacking big time. Like even like a pho restaurant, it's like Vietnamese beef noodle soup, we didn't get one here until like within the last ten years. Sure. Sure. So, I mean, I used to drive to Fort Smith to eat pho and and then drive back, you know, like two-hour <laughs> round trip. Right, uh, right. We're definitely lacking a lot, lot of like foods that I grew up with in, in Dallas, Texas, you know, big food scene there. But then in the past five years or so, like I think the food scene has grown. It's blown up. A lot. big yeah, time. And it, I'm here to highlight it. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
7: So what year did you actually start the Hangry Peddler NW? I
11: started that in... August of two thousand and nineteen. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So about two and three and a half years, is that right? Yeah. That
7: right? No, yeah, three and a half so, years. Yeah. Like that. That's, yeah. Yeah. So that was like well before the pandemic hit and you yes. kinda started to kinda of, to find your cadence and, and put it out. When did you realize wow people are actually listening to what I have to share when you know, when I post this stuff on Instagram?
11: Within a year or so I started to get more followers and people would like message me with different recommendations and like just the engagement on my posts, you know, people commenting and, and liking my posts. And I know, I mean, just liking the post doesn't seem significant, but I think I feel like it is because I know that people are actually looking at it, you know? Yeah. And then enjoying it and stuff like that. And, uh, actually messaging me with places like telling me, Hey, you need to go here yeah. or <laughs> messaging me saying, Hey, I went to the place that you just posted. And it was like really good. Thank you. Yeah. Thanking me for what I do. And I just, I was like, wow, (laughs) like it made me feel good, you know, because I don't do this for money. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So just like, it's like- You like good food. I like good food and I just want to share it. Yeah. You know, my family, they're small business owners and I know small business owners here, like restaurant owners, sometimes they, they struggle to get their food out there and like, that's what I'm here for, you know, to spread all the- Good food in the Northwest Arkansas.
7: Yeah. Cause kind of what I feel like what you have done for small restaurants locally here is you have been that, that restaurant whisperer, right? Where yeah. you've kind of said, Hey, there's a really great place up in Rogers, or Hey, there's a really great place up in Fayetteville, or you fill in the blank location. And then all of a sudden people become aware of it because now you have right now, as we're speaking, I remember when I started following you, probably had about Eight or nine thousand followers. Now you're up to almost sixteen thousand. That's a lot of people. That's the size of a. That's the size of a, a decent sized town. Matter of fact, the population of Centerton is smaller than the number of people that you have <laughs> following you on Instagram. So, I mean, take that for what it's worth. I mean, that you know, like like Uncle Ben said to Peter Parker, "With great power comes great responsibility." You have a lot of power in the fact that you have people that follow you that tune in to cuz i i'm always looking for a new place to go eat. And I actually just texted you the other day asking you about a restaurant that I'm not going to mention the name of it, but I mean I I'm always, you know, inquiring about, hey, what about this place or hey, what about that place and if it's a place that you haven't talked about, I'm always interested to find out cuz I mean you're just one person, so yeah. I know it's hard to cover everything.
8: Oh, yeah, but very hard. <laughs> you, you,
7: you have found a way to get out and really connect with a lot of different restaurants and you said something very important, which is that restaurants have a hard time telling their story, right? And and I have found that you've been able to tell that story through your images, through the food that you talk about, that you try. And I mean, you try a lot of different foods. So I mean, I love your budget for eating. You know, if you ever need a friend to join you for a meal, I'm I'm Let's I'm your it. guy. Yeah. yeah. So, the but no, ser- ser- seriously, though, I mean, at what point? Because I asked you offline. I said, you know. Do you consider yourself a food critic? But you say you don't. You're just a dude out there trying different things.
11: Yeah, I'd say I'm a food resource. I guess restaurant resource. You okay. Know? So, because I don't, I don't like to post negative stuff about uh, restaurants. So I don't really give them a grade, like five star or whatever. Yeah. Uh, two star because they the food wasn't good. Right. I try to keep it positive. Cause, you know, my fan, like I said, my family are all small business owners and I know how hard it could be for somebody to go out there and just write something negative about you just from one experience. So I just try to keep it 100% positive. People sometimes go on my posts and post real negative stuff, you know, so I'll just, the block button is my, yeah. my favorite thing. I mean, I tell them, Hey, you know, that's not cool. And right, all that. Right. And they'll, they'll argue with me and I'm like, okay, block. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. I just try to keep it 100% positive. So I would not call myself a food critic. Sure, no.
7: I I appreciate that and, you know, I think there but there's something to be said for the fact that, you know, you you keep it 100 in terms of the places that you do visit and you've told me that, you know, there have been places that you have visited that you decided not to feature for one reason or another. So, in that way, you've, you know, maybe you decide I'm not going to expose my audience to everything that I experience because it may or may not be worth it.
11: Exactly. Oh yeah, there's there are a lot of not I wouldn't say a lot. There are some restaurants I've gone to and maybe the food wasn't good and just I had a bad experience, just like service and all that. Sure. And, and sometimes the food, I mean, it's really awful and I I don't want to put it out there, you know. Yeah. So
0: I just try to highlight all the places I I really like. You can hear the entire conversation with Joseph Nguyen and Randy Wilburn at IamNorthwestArkansas.com or by accessing the I Am Northwest Arkansas podcast at KUAF.com or through any podcast distributor. And you can follow Joseph
1: Nguyen at NWA on Instagram.
6: Try the salami, Tommy Give it the gravy, Davy. Everybody eats when they come to my
5: house
6: Try
11: a tomato plate, too Here's catchy a tory-dory Taste the bologna, Tony Everybody eats when they come to my house
1: Anna Moss stays busy. The singer, songwriter, and musician is half of the duo Handmade Moments with Joel Ludford. Handmade Moments began their musical journey based in Fayetteville, but Anna and Joel have since relocated to New Orleans and continued a tour around the country. Anna has also developed the band Anna Moss in the Nightshades, and that band made their Fayetteville debut earlier this month at George's Majestic Lounge as the last stop of a tour. Between the band sound check and show at George's, Anna and the Nightshades made a stop in the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio. I asked Anna to introduce her band.
12: Fernando Lima next to me playing percussion. I have Joel Ludford playing bass, and I have Nat Lawrence playing keys. And
1: you've been in St. Louis, you've been in Springfield this tour, now going to be at George's Majestic Lounge.
12: Um... You've just been so busy with so many projects. Get us up to date. Well, so I, I play in a duo with Joel called Handmade Moments, mm. and we've been, we've been on the road for a lifetime. <laughs> and, <laughs> but I started another project, an additional project, over the pandemic called Anna Moss, just under my name, Anna Moss and the Nightshades. And it's an electric um, bedroom pop slash existential R&B band.
1: Yeah, and um I've listened to a couple of the songs and they're gorgeous. They're textured. They're wonderful. Thank you so much. What led to the inspiration for the for the full the fuller band, I guess?
12: Well, I wasn't planning on starting a band. I just it was the pandemic and I got really depressed. I was in the lowest place I'd ever been. And I usually don't play, I wasn't playing much guitar with Handmade Moments in general. I, m- I mostly play horns in that band. But I, when I was in the midst of my dark depression, I started playing guitar all the time because I needed to do something with my hands. So I just started playing guitar nonstop. And then I was writing all these songs. And then I met Fernando, the drummer, at a party. And then we started hanging out. And, and we were practicing. I was like, hey, you want to come over and... And uh, play some of these songs and maybe make some recordings with me. And I wasn't planning on starting a band still. I just wanted to record them to have them. Yeah. But then, you know, it was still in the middle of the pandemic. He comes over. We're in the studio. Fernando's like also depressed and doesn't like to be inside, he told me. So then we had the idea of going to just play and have this rehearsal on the street, on Royal Street in New Orleans. And we started having our rehearsals there. And it was so fun because it was the middle of the pandemic, so there were no venues open in town, but tourists were still coming to New Orleans and you could get like to-go drinks and to-go food. So people were just walking around the French Quarter with nothing to do. So we would set up and play and end up just playing for hours because it was so fun to just play again. And that's where the band was born.
1: When you were playing, were you playing originals? Were you playing whatever came to your mind?
12: Well, I was writing a lot, and so I was teaching the songs to these musicians during those playing. Yeah, it wasn't wasn't like wasn't a show. We were learning, yeah. and I was like, "Here's how this goes." And then everyone was trying it, and then we would just play it, you know. So it was just rehearsals. Yeah, it was all originals. A couple of covers that I was like 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 to play at the time, but
1: rehearsals with a variety of people walking about—that's different than most rehearsals.
12: Yeah, it was just so nice to have like fresh energy of people and they were also hungry for music too because you know, they're just walking around the French Quarter with nothing to do. Nothing's open and and so it was fun to give them something to do and then they gave us, you know, some someone to play for. So then we started playing all the time like several times a week like that and that's where we recorded our Tiny Desk uh, entry contest video on the street
1: Slow Down Kamikaze.
12: Mhm, exactly in the place where we started
1: the sound i encourage everyone to go look at the video the sound you got on that was amazing the engineering and everything that was all joel
12: it was amazing <laughs> and it was all off of a car battery we just had like a a multi-track zoom recorder in a car battery and
1: wait you had a car battery so that's what was powering everything Yeah. yeah <laughs> That's awesome. Well, that, in the spirit of, of you know creativity, I must say we are in the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio, which is a small studio, and the percussion is not a drum, is it, that we're going to hear?
12: No, we couldn't bring Fernando's drums in because we already sound-checked at George's, so he's going to play my guitar case.
1: That's fantastic. Um, we should also mention Handmade Moment's most recent record. Oh, yes. And The Wars.
12: We just put out a new record, too months ago, it's called End the Wars, and it's an anti-war album, kind of addressing all the stuff going on these days in the world and, you know, with the, I guess, the greater message of just ending the war and the conflict.
1: All right, so what are we going to hear in this small space here?
12: We're going to play for you the title track from our upcoming record. This band is putting out a record, our very first record. This winter, and it's called Amnesty. That's the name of the record, and this is the title track.
1: All right, I'm going to swing my mic around so we can pick up a bit more.
12: Yeah.
13: Two, one, two, three, shh! Honestly, I, I leave the light on for you, baby In case you decide To come back home Hold the door Yeah, hold the phone Nothing is ever like it was And it won't
1: That was nothing short of spectacular. That was fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you. And the record is out in the
12: winter? The record will be out this winter. Where can people find out more? You can find out more. If, if you can follow online, just on Spotify or iTunes or wherever you get your music, Apple Music, just under the name Anna Moss. And then you can follow us on Instagram, Anna Moss Music, or on Facebook, or go to our website, animosmusic.com and sign up for our email list. That's the best way honestly.
0: Thank you all for coming in.
12: Yeah, thank you so much Kyle.
0: Animos and the Nightshades were in the Anthony and Susan Hoy news studio earlier this month.
7: Uh-huh. A monthly subscription can buy you everything from TV to coffee beans. That is typically convenient, but I
10: go on vacation and I have coffee piling up on my doorstep.
1: Are you accidentally spending money on stuff you don't want anymore? That's on the next Morning Edition from NPR News. Morning Edition, tomorrow morning from 5 to 9 on 91.3 KUAF.
0: And you can ask your smart speaker to please play KUAF. Tomorrow on Ozarks at Large, a new agreement with the Cherokee Nation and the National Park Service.
9: That experience was profound. Uh, You know, a lot of the elders who were there were marked, and, you know, as far as the the abundance of plants, but also the the feeling of home, away from home, if you will. Um, You know, uh, specifically, uh, one elder said it felt like going back to the homeland.
0: Medicine along the Buffalo National River. Tomorrow at noon and 7 on 91.3. KUAF. guess what
1: this is 91.3 kuaf fayetteville fort smith rogers and huntsville contributors today included anna pope and randy wilburn daniel caruth provided the reporting and sound about the campaign to reduce strokes additional reporting today came from the news staff at little rock public radio
0: i'm matthew moore i'm kyle Kellums.
1: notice i didn't say kuar
0: i did notice that it's
1: little rock public radio they rebranded
0: yeah, it's, it makes makes a lot of sense. I think you know for a station that has two different stations, mm-hmm. kind of combining it to call it Little Rock Public Radio, it's a good move. They're going to announce uh, some programming changes
1: soon too. Wonder yeah. what programs they will add. We'll find out, I suppose. We will, and we'll let you know. <laughs> All right, another show tomorrow. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Kyle.
4: Rave Cultural Foundation presents their Fall Master Concert featuring the world-renowned musicians of the Divine Trio in the Great Hall at Crystal Bridges, Saturday, October 1st, 4 to 5.30 p.m. Tickets and information at ra-veculturalfoundation.org slash events. The Northwest Arkansas Jazz Society partners with the city of Springdale for the Live at Turnbow concert series featuring the Fayetteville Jazz Collective Big Band, August 31st at 6.30 p.m. This outdoor concert once again features the Wall of Sound, created by the Swinging Jazz Orchestra in the heart of downtown Springdale. It's free and open to the public. More at digjazz.com slash events.